So just before we look at Genesis 16, I want to bring your attention to chapter 15. The previous chapter, Abraham is in prayer. He is conversing with the Lord in chapter 15. And the Lord comes to him in a vision and he tells Abraham, do not be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield, your very great reward. So God assures Abraham of himself and what he's going to be in Abraham's life. And Abraham responds, he says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? So Abraham turns to the Lord with a deeper need and he is saying, there is nothing else that you can give to me than what you have denied me because even the person that will inherit my estate is my slave because you have denied me a child. Then the word of the Lord, or verse 3, And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. And the Lord said, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Now that's very important because God is responding to Abraham's deepest need. He is assuring him that Abraham will have a son and that son will inherit his estate. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. This is an object lesson now. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham, we are told in verse 6, this is very important. Abraham believed the Lord. He believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed what the Lord had said. He believed on the promise that he would have a son of his own flesh and that his descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. So you would think that after this assurance, after this promise that the Lord has given to Abraham, even after the object lesson of counting the stars, Abraham would fully put his trust 
in the Lord. We would expect that. Let us let me move from Abraham and come back to us. Many of us believers have experienced God's power, God's grace, and his faithfulness in our lives. At least there is something that you can look at in your life and say, this is the Lord doing. You have seen him in one way or another. You would expect that because you have experienced the Lord in your life, you have experienced his presence, his power, his grace, his faithfulness, that that would be enough for you to put your trust in him fully. Abraham is a, is a man of faith. We know him as a man of faith. But it seems like God makes a promise to him, a very good promise, but he takes too long to fulfill it. Sarai is getting old. Sarai knows that God has promised Abraham a son from his flesh and blood. Sarai doesn't know that she will be the mother. God did not say that. So Sarai waits and waits. she decides to come up with a suggestion. She has a slave girl from Egypt. She owns her, and she suggests that Abraham takes her, and this is what she says in, in chapter 16. She says to Abraham in verse 2, the Lord has kept me from having children. The Lord has kept me from having children. He made a promise, but he has kept me from having children. Go and be with my slave. And listen to what she says. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Sarai is now taking control. She wants to fulfill God's promise. She wants to build a family. And God has promised Abraham a family. Perhaps I can do that. And she uses 
the Lord as an excuse. He has kept me from having children. So what do you expect from Abraham here? You expect Abraham to tell his wife, no, no, no. We need to wait on the Lord. The Lord is faithful. We can trust him. Let us wait. We may not know how he's going to do it, but he has said he will do it. Let us wait. That's what you expect from Abraham. But we are told Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. He endorses her suggestion. Let's do it. And of course, Hagar conceives, and when she realizes that she has conceived, she begins to despise, to look down upon Sarai, because being barren was considered uh, a curse. It meant that the Lord was either punishing you to the society of that day, it was not a good thing. So now that Hagar has conceived, she feels like she is the mistress in the house. Abraham's agreement with Sarai's suggestion reveals his failing faith. The same person that we've been told here in verse 6 of chapter 15, that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. We see him in chapter 16, his faith failing. And this decision that they come up with, Sarah suggested, Abraham endorses it, is very logical and culturally acceptable. But it goes against God's will. It's logical, it makes sense. It's culturally acceptable. Everyone is doing it. But it goes against God's will. It is a decision that causes the first marital conflict in the Bible. Because after this decision, things begin to happen. It is a decision that questions God's power and God's faithfulness. Decisions that we make that sometimes are culturally acceptable, that sometimes are logical, but they go against God's will. Just because it is culturally acceptable, it doesn't mean that God endorses it. 
just because the law allows it, it doesn't mean that you should do it. I know, uh, for example, when it comes to alcohol, you are allowed to, to drink at what age? 21? The law allows you, right? But that doesn't mean you have to drink it. Don't say I will drink it because the law allows me. You don't have to. In many states today, the law allows same-sex marriage. Doesn't mean you have to do it. Just because the law allows it, it's logical, it's culturally acceptable, it doesn't mean you should do it. You know, we, we begin to fail in our faith when we start questioning God's word. That's where our failing and our falling begins. When we start questioning God's word. When we start questioning what God says. It has always been my prayer that even if there is something that I'm doing that I know it is wrong. As far as God's word is concerned, I will still proclaim the truth, even if it goes against what I do. Does that make sense? In many ways, when I am preaching or teaching, I'm not just doing it to you. I'm also doing it to myself because the same struggles that you have are the same struggles that I have. And sometimes when I share this, I'm actually speaking to myself. I need more grace to lead my family the way God expects me to. I am not there yet. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. You don't have to do it today. <laughs> Give me at least two weeks to improve. We need the same grace. I am in need of the same grace that you need. I have the same struggles with praying. I don't think I pray the way I should. There are some of us who face the same struggle. I think my wife prays a lot. She's so committed to prayer. Sometimes I look at her and I'm like, I, she makes me feel guilty. And so, never think that uh, I am better than you simply because I have the privilege to share God's word with you. 
that's the point I'm trying to make. We all have the potential to fail and to fall. And it begins when we start questioning God's word. And the temptation is, at times, to either focus on passages that encourage us to do what we want to do, or to twist God's word so that it can fit in what we already want to do. That is the temptation when we don't want God's word to confront us. We pick and choose what we want, or we twist what we have so that it can fit uh, into what we want to do. Our falling begins when we question God's word. And you know why we are tempted to question God's word? Because we want to insist on our way. I did it my way. When God does not act within our time, we become impatient. When God doesn't do what we think he should do the way we think he should do it, we become impatient. Like Sarah, when we can't figure out how God is going to, to act. How is he going? I don't know if you've been to a place or you've faced a situation, a circumstance that you, you trusted God, you prayed, you believed that God could do something, and then you start wondering, even if he was to do it, how would he do it? You find yourself focusing on that because the circumstance before you is so huge. And you are wondering, even if God was to intervene here, how would he do it? I think this is what Sarai is going through. She knows that God has promised, but she he's not acting within the time that she expects. And then now she's wondering, even if he's to do it, I'm so old, how is he going to do it? When we can't figure out how God is going to act, we begin to doubt whether he will really And uh, when we are unsure, <laughs> have you prayed for something and then at the back of your mind, something just tells you God will not do it. <laughs> like you, you, are, you are praying, but there's something here that tells you, mm -mm -mm. 
you know, like if you're a student and, and you're facing an exam and you're praying, God, please help me to pass. And then the back of your mind, you just know I'm going to fail this. Because you probably you did not prepare. But you know that God can do a miracle. But you are unsure if he will, he will really do it. I think all this pressure is what Sarai is going through. And Abraham shares. He, he shares them as well. And so the question that I want us to focus on this morning is, how does God respond when we insist on our way? How does God respond when we insist on our way? So when uh, Hagar began to despise Sarai, Sarai turns to Abraham and she tells him, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. This is your problem. And it's true because Abraham should have said no. And Abraham says, your slave is in your hands. You can do to her or with her whatever you think. And she mistreats Hagar. And Hagar flees from her. When Sarai suggested that Hagar, that Abraham takes Hagar, Abraham did not even mention the promise that God had given him. They didn't even say, let us pray about this. Let us consult God first. They did not do that. And now, there's a marriage conflict going on here. This marriage conflict is going on because Abraham and his wife have failed to submit to the Lord. They have failed to submit to the Lord and his word by failing to wait on him. They have failed to submit to the Lord's promise. And let me tell you this. Every time there's a conflict in a relationship, either one of the couples is failing to submit to the Lord or all of them are failing to submit to the Lord. That is an established fact. Every time there is a, rela a relationship conflict between two married people, it is because either both of them have failed to submit to the Lord or one of them is refusing to submit to the Lord. Knowing that, it should be very 
important for us to ask ourselves when we are having conflicts, where have I failed to submit to the Lord? Forget about submitting to one another. That will never happen if we don't learn to submit to the Lord. Because submitting to one another has to be in obedience to the Lord. So that means we submit to the Lord and then through him now we can submit to one another. As Ephesians chapter 5 teaches us. How does God respond when we insist on our way? So Hagar leaves the house. The other thing you should observe here is that the Lord is not saying anything. He's not saying anything to Abram. He's not saying anything to Sarai. But the Lord speaks to, to Hagar. In verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shah. And this is what he said. Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Not because the Lord doesn't know but he's inviting Hagar to be truthful. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And listen to this. The angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Abraham and his wife have failed to submit. As a result, Hagar has become pregnant. They have mistreated her. She has left their house. The angel of the Lord intervenes and tells her, go back and submit. Go and do the same thing that they have failed to do. Hagar here has a choice to obey the Lord and go and submit or to refuse to, just as Abraham and Sarai did. They have failed to submit to me. You go and submit to them. You listen to me. They have failed to listen to me. You listen to me. And I think there's another lesson here when it comes to conflicts as well. Who will be the first to listen to the Lord? Who will be the first to submit to the Lord? Will you be the first to ask for forgiveness? Will you be the first one to forgive? Will you be the first one to do what the Lord wants you to do? Will you be the first one to do the right thing? 
go back and submit to her. I think Abraham and Sarai at a certain point realized that they had made a mistake. And Sarai, by mistreating Hagar, they were trying to get rid of their mistake. I think that's what we do sometimes when we fall into sin the next thing we do is try to cover it up. Try our best so that that sin doesn't come out. And I think this is what they're trying to do. Because the presence of Hagar reminds them of their failing. And then the Lord intervenes and tells Hagar, go How does the Lord respond when we insist on our way? I'm glad you asked. He makes us face the consequences of our choice. He makes us face the consequences of our choice. Because Abraham and his wife insist on their way, God steps aside and he lets them face the consequences of their choice. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, the Bible says this, He who thinks that he stands, 